What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am the host, Jeremy Jackson. We've got Mike McKinney. He's been on multiple times, and he is a big fan of racing. And so we've got Dr. Julia Hines with Motorsports PT, so motorsportspt.com. She's a physical therapist but was an athletic trainer, graduated from Boston University, did her uh, graduate work there as well, and then now is working with a medical device engineering company, but also practicing as a physical therapist with Motorsports. So motorsportspt.com, you can check out Julia's work. It's just something new and interesting, and we were just kind of talking beforehand. She said there's been a lot of people that are interested in getting into it. So hopefully as an athletic trainer, and you're looking out, looking to do something different, maybe something different than sports, then you can reach out to Julia and find out. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash auto racing medicine again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash auto racing medicine if you have questions or any links then check that out there so want to welcome you to the show mike welcome back as always happy to be here and then dr julia hines yeah thanks for having me on excited to to chat with you guys so let's start off with your athletic trainer story. You started off as an athletic trainer. You were talking about how you love the athletic training program there at BU. So how did you get into athletic training? And then we'll kind of continue on to the motorsports. Yeah, so um, I actually knew nothing about athletic training kind of when I signed up for it. Um, it was a combined program that BU offered. I knew I wanted to do physical therapy, actually, because I, um, I was injured a lot growing up as a dancer. Um, so I was exposed that way. And then I, I learned about athletic training through that program that BU offered and it sounded awesome. Um, so I decided to jump in, jump into that. Um, and pretty much from the get go, um, with, in the athletic training program, I was thinking about how this, how athletic training could apply to motorsports and could apply to racing. And, um, so I, I really started looking around and trying to see, you know, is there even athletic trainers? Are there athletic trainers in motorsports? Um, and the answer is yes, but kind of few and far between. Um, in NASCAR, you'll see it a little bit more often now, especially with the bigger, the bigger teams. Um, but yeah, it was it was a little bit hard to get information on how to be an athletic trainer, how to be a, a re rehabilitation professional in motorsports, um, even though it is a professional sport and you think of athletic trainers being in, in settings of all different kinds of sports as well as outside of sports, obviously. Um, so, so yeah, I just kind of, I started digging and did whatever I could, was doing lots of networking, just showing up to races, talking with everybody who would listen to me. Um, and ultimately I did for my, my, um, PT thesis project work um, at the end of at the end of the program, I decided to focus on um, returning to racing after getting concussed. Um, so that's kind of where I really dug into, you know, some more some more really motorsport specific rehabilitation topics, um, and yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. All right, so we kind of skipped that whole portion. You grew up at the racetrack with your dad. You know, it says there in your bio on motorsportspt.com. So let's talk a little bit about that, how you got into racing, maybe some of your favorite race events that you've ever seen, been to, or would love to go to. And then we'll continue down the path of how to become or what you've done as a motorsports uh, physical therapist. So Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I grew up I grew up at the racetrack. My dad... Um, is an amateur racer and a racing instructor. Um, so I started going to the track with him, I think the first time I was like three or four years old. Um, and I just loved it. Like it's the racing community is really small, even though everyone is spread around the country and the world actually. Um, it's a really small community. So it was really a wonderful environment to grow up in. Um, cause you could kind of just show up at a bunch of different racetracks and you would always kind of know somebody, somebody there. Um, and my dad in my senior year of high school, um, got concussed and from a racing accident and his management, like thinking about it after the fact was 
horrific. Like it was, there was basically no management. He went to the ER. They determined that he had a concussion. They released him. They didn't even tell him not to drive. Like that was just kind of a like, okay, you probably shouldn't do that. But my dad drove the pace car the next day. He didn't race, but he drove the pace car. And then he had BPPV. He had like symptoms that lasted for now, like when he thinks back to it, he was like, I wasn't right for at least a year. Um, he wasn't, he couldn't get back in the car for at least three months, actually, because more of like the vestibular stuff, like putting the helmet on just completely messed with his like visual vestibular processing, um, understandably. And yeah, so that's kind of what spurred, what spurred my, my thesis work down the road. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's why I'm so passionate about it. I grew up really in it. And um, in terms of the, my favorite races, um, I grew up really close to Lime Rock Park, which is a track in Connecticut, in the Northwest corner of Connecticut. So pretty much any race there is, I love. Um, it's a really small and intimate track, but I would love to go to like Monaco or one of the, the really famous Formula One races one day. That's probably, probably highest on my bucket list. So I think with the, um, it's really interesting hearing about your interest in concussion started early. I think the, um, everyone's heard the story of Ricky Rudd rolling his car at Talladega and then racing the next week and they taped his eyes open. Like it's a horrific story to think about. <laughs> you know, this is in the eighties, open faced helmets. And I think they pretty much had, my goodness, in some points, barely a five point harness. Um, and now we get all the way up to now where you have big names like Dale Earnhardt Jr. going through what he went through and be very upfront about part of the reason he ended racing and the decline in his career had that had a lot to do with it and some of the challenges that he went through. So I guess, um, can you speak a little bit to about like with the research that you've done, obviously, you know, you did a lot of work with this, um, just kind of that evolution. I mean, like you said, there was a point where there was like, <laughs> there was nothing like, we tell athletes that are 16 years old that just got their driver's license, not, not, not to drive home. And now you've got people that are driving upwards of 206 miles an hour into a corner and four G's and oh, they're okay. You, you can right. keep driving. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did a helmet, but like, yeah. I guess speaking about like your evolution there. And like I, you said, BPVB and things of that nature of, again, <laughs> I know it's a tough community, like with a lot of, old school thinking is an understatement. And so I think just take us through that journey because I'm sure that was yeah. Liz's journey, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's even in just the past like five years, there's been a huge, um, huge strides being made in terms of the awareness of why concussion really matters in motorsports. Um, but it's a hundred percent that like kind of old school, like rub some dirt on it. You're fine. Get back in the car kind of mentality. And it's, especially at a professional level, it is understandable from to a certain extent that these athletes, like there isn't somebody else. It's not like they're in a team sport where, you know, they have somebody as a backup, like, if they get out of the car and they're out of the car for a prolonged period of time, they could lose that spot. Like they could lose their funding. They could lose that ride. They could lose their job basically. Um, so I understand where a lot of those drivers are coming from when they're scared to report or they're scared that they're, that they're going to lose their job. Um, but I think obviously from being a rehab professional and understanding the severity of you know, why we really need to pay attention to concussions that education is really, has really, really been key. And I think Dale Earnhardt Jr. talking openly about his struggles, like he has a book, which is really good. I read it, um, would recommend reading it, just learning about his story with concussion has been really positive in terms of drivers taking, taking it more seriously. Um, and being able to recognize symptoms more often um, because that's, that's part of it too, is, you know, we really rely as, as someone who's trying to diagnose concussion after somebody who's, after somebody has crashed, 
you're not you're not really going to be able to necessarily see those potential immediate signs that you might be able to see of somebody on a football field of kind of you know maybe that disorientation they're walking the wrong way or they're maybe even that you know moment of unconsciousness for a second you may not you may not know that is happening when somebody's crashing a race car because they're all alone and even if you have the fastest response team known to man it's still going to take them a few seconds you know half a minute to a couple minutes to get to them so i in in the motorsports world we have to rely on having that really good relationship with your drivers for them to feel comfortable enough to come to you and say like hey i'm a little worried or check me out or whatever it is and i mean obviously they're going to go to the infield care center and get checked out as well um and you know they a lot of professional series are now implementing impact testing king devic testing all that all of all the baseline type stuff but it's not foolproof um so it's really it's a really tough environment to navigate um and i think you know we are making strides for sure um, but there's definitely still a long way to go um, and i think one of the biggest areas that athletic trainers could help is kind of at the more amateur level like the local grassroots level because um, obviously you get a lot of press and publicity and a lot of eyes on you know indycar nascar weather tech sports car series formula one all of that they have lots of money they can put technology into it um, and they have a traveling medical team that goes with the series. Whereas when you have smaller tracks, you know, arrive and drive guys, you don't have that. They just have, you know, a local EMS service that probably isn't the best at knowing what to look for. Um, so it would be awesome if, you know, there were athletic trainers that could be working these smaller events. Um, you know they wouldn't only be there for to look out for concussion stuff but that would be an additional resource that i think would be really helpful okay what um what um i guess series it sounds like you know obviously there's a lot of series that you mentioned what would you, what was your primary or is your primary uh clientele in motorsports is it you know, the nascar series is it anyone who comes to you um have teams hired you to go to tracks just to be available or kind of take yeah. a few yeah, so um, really it's anyone who comes to me. I tend to work more in the sports car world right now. Um, my current clients are in the, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, so I will go to endurance events specifically. So like the 24 hours of Daytona, um, 12 hours of Sebring, and then 24 hours of Le Mans, and then potentially um, Petit Le Mans, which is in Atlanta. Um, so like the, the longer events where the drivers are really kind of getting put through the ringer where they're getting in and out of the car multiple times. Um, and I'm there to ensure their safety and as well as comfort and kind of deal with with the aches and pains as they come up as well as the crew members, because um, they're that is one area that actually initially I wanted to do my, my thesis work on was working with crew members to try and improve just basically their quality of life and their performance in the pits. Um, and that is an area where NASCAR has really stepped up recently. And I think that's where a lot of the athletic trainers actually um, will focus on is with the pit crews because the pit crews are athletes and like these, these crew guys are athletes themselves. Um, that also have to be the mechanics and you know the ones working on the cars. Um, so, so yeah, I try I try and and give some love to the the crew guys as well as much as possible because um, I think they're a little neglected. But well, and I think like I think we can go down that a little bit more. You actually took a question right out of <laughs> right off my piece of paper in front of me is um, the whole idea of early on in the '90s like Ray Evernham and Jeff Gordon part of their early success was Ray Evernham was like, we should do strength training with our pit crew. And like at that point, and I know at least NASCAR specifically, IndyCar, it didn't even matter. Um, like it was still, it could have been the guy changing your oil at the Jiffy Lube was also going with the team on the weekends. Like that was still happening. And 
Jeff Gordon's crew, um, and just full disclosure, I'm not a Jeff Gordon super fan by any means. I know <laughs> people have their they have their allegiances. I'm not going with anybody, but I just respect the fact that they're like, we're going to train these people like athletes. Like a tire weighs 85 pounds. A can of gas weighs 115 pounds. And they have to lift that up and hold it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And just beating people out of the pits is a big deal. So obviously people plant, cut, pivot, um, unfortunately sometimes get struck by vehicles and errant equipment. So um, I guess, do you have experiences treating pit crews from that standpoint? Because I think that's where as athletic trainers, we all feel like we're trained well to go into any situation, but I haven't been in that situation, but I, but we all have that experience where you go to a new sport, a new event, you're just like, I am not in what, this is different. I'm in a, I'm having a different experience and I got a feeling people getting injured or hit with tires and things is a little bit different than any, <laughs> any traditional entry level training we get. As athletic yeah. Trainers. Yeah. No, it's, that's a really great question. And so at least with the series that I've worked with that I've, where I've been on site working, um, at the track, they again have medical personnel that are actually stationed like in the pits. Like they have, they have lots of medical personnel basically everywhere. Um, so, and I haven't been in the situation yet where one of my crew members has been injured, um, in that way, kind of more an an acute injury in the pits. Um, but I think it would be a combination of the, you know, if it's IndyCar, like the IndyCar medical support team, they would come and then, you know, you would probably do whatever assistance they needed. Um, Cause it's typically like all the on track incidents that that medical team is going to be um, kind of in charge of. Um, but I, I think it would be a hundred percent within our scope to kind of just like if someone goes down on the football field and you know, you need to transfer somebody to a spine board and you need six people like you're, you can be one of those support. You may not be the head, but you'll be, you can a hundred, I think it would, be very reasonable for an athletic trainer to support in that kind of acute instance. And then obviously you're going to be doing some follow-up as well um, from any residual, you know, uh, like circumstances or treatment or whatever that they, they need after. I would think that you would be the, the go-to for that. I mean, they can also go to their personal doctor, obviously, but you would yeah. be involved. <laughs> um. How do you approach, because I know you mentioned endurance racing. I know that's a whole animal in itself. Um, so obviously there's teams, like literally teams of drivers attached to a car and they're, you know, swapping out every two to four hours and things of that nature. Um, I, I take us through that process. I guess like obviously there's probably a lot of problem solving you have to do because when they get out of the car, well, they're not done for the day. Um, right. you know, they've, got a, they've got four hours to go back to this incredibly stressful experience. It's going to take, I mean, roll it. You know, the Rolex at Daytona was what, two weeks ago, week ago. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the days anymore, but I, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, so I think that race, that race is a good example that there was, it had a pretty unique start that there was a wreck before the green flag. So yeah. it's like, now you've got all these circumstances that, you know, we're taught to have a decision-making um, based on a very defined set of circumstances. And I think with racing, that's even, that's whittled down even further. So it's kind of, I guess, take us through your thought process, like when a driver comes to you with something in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. No, really good question. So pretty much anytime a driver gets out of the car after being in the car for two plus hours, um, something is going to be a little sore. Um, whether it's, you know, some lower back pain, neck pain. Sometimes their hands will cramp up. I've even had drivers that, um, where their feet, their foot gets sore from like mashing on the brake so hard. Um, and you know, it's always, you're always ruling out red flags. Like, is there something here that is really going to prevent them from driving? And in that case, you know, you're going to take them over to the infield care center and have them looked at by, uh, a doctor, an MD. Um, But in most cases, it's really just more of a, what can I do in this instance to make them feel ready to get back in the car in a few hours? And I will do a a fair amount of manual um, 
you know, hands-on therapy. Um, and, you know, in the, in my PT experience, my PT world, if I have somebody coming into me, you know, two times a week or whatever, I'm trying to stay away from a lot of that passive therapy. But in this case, when it's my job to basically make sure that they can get through the next 24 hours and be performing at their best, because if they're in pain in the car, then their performance could drop um, and they could actually, you know, be in more danger. Um, I'm basically doing whatever I can to alleviate whatever aches and pains they have. And part of that, part of that is actually a big, I think actually is a big mental component too, um, where I'll try and just have a conversation with them while I'm working with them um, about something that is not related to racing at all. Um, you know, crack a couple little jokes, just to, like have that you know, personal patient interaction where it kind of lets them relax and lets them think about something else so that then they kind of feel refreshed and ready to go. And obviously in the middle of the night, like you're not really having so many of those conversations. You're more trying to like prepare their body to rest for a couple hours. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting process for sure. Um, and again, a lot of patient education as well of like, man, my back's killing me. I don't know why, like it hasn't hurt me this whole, this whole, you know, weekend. And now it's really sore. Like I'm worried, you know, it's hour two of the race. I'm worried that it's going to be killing me later on. And it's kind of not using any nocebic language, you know, being like, okay, like, let's see how it feels. We'll, you know, we'll do a few things. We'll see how you feel if things are, you know, still not feeling great, we'll try some of these other things, letting them know you have a plan. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's it's very similar to any other patient interaction you have. It's just one on top of the other on top of the other every couple hours. Um, so it definitely is a little different in terms of that management. Do you find yourself still having to give um, like this, this type of athlete uh, the confidence to get back in their car? I wouldn't say confidence, no. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on the injury. I did have one athlete who tore his ACL um, and was worried about doing driver changes. Um, so I worked with him a little bit more on kind of just talking through scenarios and like being like, okay, does this hurt? Like when you do this, does it hurt? Well, no. Okay. Then that your body's telling you something, right? Like, does it hurt when you do this? Yes. Okay. Well, let's, you know, if he was jumping off the wall, um, yeah, it hurts a little when I jump off the wall. Okay. Can you sit on the wall and swing your legs over instead of jumping down? Yeah, I guess I could do that. Right. Like it's, it's those kinds of little things that can have a really big difference. Um, ultimately, but it's, I don't, it's nothing, I mean, these are, you know, these professional athletes are, they want to be in the car as much as they can be. And they're extremely determined and very competitive. Um, so most of the time, no, it's kind of just, you know, allowing them that, that kind of peace of mind, I guess, of like, okay, I feel good now I'm ready. What do you think is the most, the least, um, the least understood aspect of a professional motorsports uh, driver that just your average person doesn't, I wouldn't say they don't get, cause it's just a lot of people just don't, they don't follow motorsports, but like what they um, wouldn't understand or, you know, just something that you would want them to know about like the level of athlete you're dealing with. So I think that, I think exactly what you said is the biggest thing that these are, extremely high performing athletes. Like a lot of people I think have that like, oh, you're just driving a car around. Like how hard could that be? It is extremely physically taxing. Um, there are a number of physiologic papers um, or research that has come out in the past few years showing that, you know, heart rate and respiratory rate and just overall effort are extremely high with 
with race car drivers, um, especially when you add in those G-forces and there's just, there's so much happening to your body all at once when you're driving a race car um, that it's, it's unlike any other, any other sport. Um, and so especially kind of going back to the concussion thing, my, my thesis project was coming up with ways to progress somebody through a return, return to play um, protocol while incorporating a lot of those environmental stimulus and stressors to the body in a safe way without them having get without them getting back in the car too soon, right? Because with soccer, it's like, all right, you're gonna dribble a ball, you're gonna run around, you're gonna, you know, do some drills. Um, but in a when you're in a car, there's heat, there's the, you know, the visual um the visual like sense from wearing the helmet there's g-forces there's you know if you're on a banking it's inclined there's vibration there's a ton of visual stimulus just like flowing past you at really high high rates of speed so how do you um how do you simulate that in a safe way so how do you i guess i i I'm just curious about how that works because obviously there's lots of different types of um, kind of like when you said people don't realize what's going on with a race car driver. I just encourage anybody if there's a track near you, you can do a, a ride along, just do it for the 10 minute experience of getting slammed like yeah. plastered to the side of a car, even for 12 <laughs> laps, just to see how that feels. But um, uh, but I mean, like obviously there's there's differences, right? I mean like say dirt track racing isn't as a big a thing out here on the East Coast, but that's what I grew up with. So if someone who's doing sprint cars where they're literally driving through a corner sideways and then um, versus asphalt tracks where that might not be an issue, how, like, what is your return to play for something like that? Like, what, what, like, do you stress them in the car? Do you have a, a protocol that's like more clinic specific transition to car? Just kind of take us through that. I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it totally, like you're saying, you know, dirt track is very different than asphalt and NASCAR is very different than road racing, right? Like you're only going one direction versus, and you're on more banking versus road ra racing, you're going multiple directions. Like every, every environment, every racing environment is different. So like any patient care, you know, anytime you're going to treat a patient, you have to look at that patient. And that also means you have to look at their environment. So, um, if, if my, you know, if my, if somebody, if I'm treating a driver who is post-concussion and is, um, and I'm trying to see, you know, how well they tolerate being in the car and they're in a dirt environment versus a street environment, I'm going to make sure that they feel comfortable, like kind of being at that racing position or racing like the position in the car that they're at as well as like dirt there's going to be like pieces of dirt flying so like maybe you set up a couple computers and you find a couple youtube videos of you know a bunch of dirt flying past you or whatever it is like trying to come up with creative ways to simulate the environment that like the real environment that they're in do you use um, any of the eye racing simulation stuff you can, yeah. I haven't personally with a driver, but it, it also, that's the other thing is what do they have access to, right? Like if you're a professional driver, your team might have this like full motion simulator that's worth $10 million that you can take advantage of. And that's great. But if you're a grassroots guy who has iRacing, like you obviously can't go to the $10 million sim. So yeah, use, use your iRacing or have them get in the car as a passenger, um, even if it's just a streetcar going to an autocross, right? Like getting as close as you can to that without putting them in the car too soon, like kind of checking all of those boxes um, and trying to stress them in similar ways, even if it isn't the real thing yet. It's yeah, you know, not necessarily gonna be perfect, but doing the best you can and being as creative as you can, I think is. Yeah, and it seems like it's easier to deal with. And I think this is the <laughs> the lesson in athletic training everywhere. Some of these problems are easier to deal with the more funding you have. Cause it's oh, like, yeah. say if it's a top tier NASCAR driver, 
they have track testing days. So if you need to see if a guy's in the car, they have the track to themselves on like a Tuesday. So we can, you know, you can do that where I, like you, like I like bringing up autocross, but I think that that is crossover to like, yeah, youth sports. Like they don't have private facilities. They've, they've got to find ways to do these sorts of things. Um, like, I think those are good lessons that, you know, when people are, are interested in other settings that, you know, those are the things that I think that transcend yeah. your setting, so to speak. And I think that's a, a good way to put that is, because the other question I had is obviously, you know, this is motorsport specific, but, you know, you obviously went to a very good athletic training program that I don't know if they had motorsports as a part of your curriculum, either in your undergrad or um, nothing against them. Nobody's does. Um, <laughs> But what lessons, because I know especially like Jeremy's got a pretty wide um, listener base of people either in school or athletic trainers considering other settings and things like that. What what stands out to you the most about like your just education as an athletic trainer or a physical therapist that lessons you learned that basically you were able to take into motorsports, like something that you look back on that even if someone's not going into motorsports, that was one of the most helpful things for you to learn and take with you in your career? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I was really lucky in that the athletic training program at BU was amazing. And all of the professors there were so supportive. Um, so I, I met with a number of my professors, shout out to Sarah Brown in particular, um, and said like, hey, I'm interested in this environment and working in motorsports, I'm interested in breaking into this. As far as I can find, you know, there isn't, there aren't a ton of athletic trainers in this. How do I break into it? Because we are a hundred percent like capable and we should be working in this environment. So how do I do this? And I had a bunch of brainstorming sessions with my with my professors of just talking about, you know, what would this what would this look like or what could this look like and who should I reach out to and you know how do I how do I network or how do I get to kind of where I need to go um and I think I think that was huge and I think especially with athletic training there's a lot of I think it's gotten better but I think there's still a lot of kind of general public not fully understanding what athletic trainers do. Um, so from that side of it, it almost was helpful because I was all, all, already coming from that, like, I'm going to have to prove myself or I'm going to have to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of show that we belong here. Um, and my professors were amazing with sitting down and helping me work through that and never said like, it's going to be too hard or, you know, you shouldn't try and do this or whatever. Not that I don't think necessarily any professor would, I would hope no professor <laughs> would do that, but they, they really went above and beyond and listened to, listened to what I was trying to do and heard the value in it and then worked with me to create something of higher value and kind of ask questions and said, oh, have you thought about this or that or whatever it is. Um, and that was really huge. So anybody who is an athletic training student now, just because something doesn't exist doesn't mean you can't create it. Um, it won't mean it won't be hard, but I think I think it's all it's always worth taking a shot and trying. And at, at the very least, just talking to people and seeing like, hey, like, do you think this could happen or what would make this work? Like, kind of doing your own your own research um, and yeah, and kind of just, just seeing what you can make of it. If it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out, but at least you, at least you tried. So you have, you know, cause that was my biggest thing. That was my biggest thing. I was like, man, if I don't try and do this, I'm always gonna wonder what if. Yeah, I mean, I, when I was in college, I almost left halfway through. I, I actually had a job offer from Roush Fenway Racing, but it was oh, wow. nothing, nothing to do with sports medicine. They found out I was a former hockey player in college. They wanted to train me to do more pit crew stuff, but I had gone down there because I was like, wait, you can drive to all these auto shops. You can pretty much knock on any of their doors and the people that run the racetrack um, on a daily basis, the teams, like 
just wandering around the shop like normal people. It's their job. That's what they do. And I got some chance interviews, but it, I, but again, like you still, you did way better than I did because I was just like, oh, well, it's, that's not, I'm, I'm in my junior year of my athletic training program. I'm not going to leave college as cool as it would be to go down and, you know, run around the truck series or at the, the time it was called the Bush series and basically carry tires and gas. Well, I couldn't, I, they told me I couldn't do the gas can. I was too short. So that, that, <laughs> that hurt my feelings a little bit. I'm this much under six foot and they have a, a profile they were trying to get and I get it. Leverage is everything. But, um, but, but I gave up on it. Like I'm very, very happy with my career and where I am at this point. But I know that was one thing where I was like, man, I, I, I stopped. Um, I, I was, I was prepared to tra transfer to any AT program within driving distance of a racetrack in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. And, and try and go after it. And I just never, I, I didn't follow through. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really hard. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, there were, I networked. And when I say network, I mean, I showed up to racetracks and just talked with whoever I could for four years before I kind of got any kind of traction but it literally was just hey like I mean it, it definitely helped because I grew up in racing so I had some contacts already established to say like hey can I ask you some questions about you know like the the drivers that I knew can I ask you some questions about your recovery or can I ask you some some questions about how you train mm -hmm. like when you're not in the car or whatever it was and then say like is there anybody else that, you know, you could put me in touch with that you think would be willing to talk to me? And through, through doing that multiple, multiple times, you get put in touch with, you know, this person who then gets you put in touch with somebody else. And that's literally, that's, that's it. Like, that's how I ended up where I am working with a professional motor racing team obviously you have to prove that, you know, you can do the work and you do good work and you know what you're talking about and all of that. But getting your foot in the door is obviously a huge part of that, especially when something hasn't been established yet, when there isn't a position that already exists. Yeah. I think they told me I was going to, he handed me a broom. He's like, you can use this for a few months. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to sweep shop floors. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, I should probably finish my college degree. I'm not sure how this is going to go if I <laughs> put everything on hold for, what was it, not even a year and a half from, you know, my BOC test, probably under a year. I'm like, God. Yeah, that's but, a big risk for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, 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 the reason I kicked myself is because I think I was just a little too, it was right there. It was right at that opening um, where, I mean, I think F1 they've had it for a while because I know F1 racers and things like that. I mean, the, 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 the drivers themselves, most of them could probably be triathletes in all honesty and be like moderately successful. A lot of them are. Yeah. Like, um, lot, that's how a lot of them train is they, yeah. yeah, they do a lot of, a lot of cardio. Yeah. Cause I know NASCAR gets the, all the, all the heat. Cause it's like, you've got guys that could actually probably do triathlete triathlons in NASCAR. Then you got, you know, stories of guys being fined for smoking during, you know, caution laps and stuff like that. <laughs> that still happens. I'm like, well, okay, these things happen, but, but yeah, but I think those are the, you know, those are just like the really interesting stories of obviously we're trying to grow the profession. I work in a, I work in a division one college. I work in the, one of the most traditional possible settings in athletic training. I worked in a high school. I worked in a clinic. Um, but now we're seeing, again, motorsports, um, law enforcement, military. Um, I know BU has a, uh, they had a clinical site with the Kennedy Space Center that I know a student that worked with us went I down I know, there. that wasn't available when I was there. How wild <laughs> is that? She left us and went down there and I was so jealous. I'm like, <laughs> I know. Um, but I think it's just that the nature of um our, our skills transcend setting where, you know, athletes are everywhere. And it's, it's always nice to hear that. One of the things like with people in different settings, I always want to ask you, um, and if, if you don't have a story, that's fine. But I always tell people my first, uh, what's a moment where you're like, oops, I really shouldn't have done that. Um, when you went into like a new setting, 
I could like, for example, like when I worked college hockey for the first time, it's just knock, <laughs> knocking the wall of sticks over before the game. Like you just want to like shrink to be about this big and leave the building. Like everyone has that experience. And I always think it's humbling to admit to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think I've definitely put my, my foot in my mouth at some point, or it's, it's probably been where I was like a little too chatty at like 3am and I can, I was like, I just need to shut up. But like words just keep coming out of my mouth and I can tell my driver just wants to like relax or whatever. Um, definitely had a couple of moments like that. Have you had any like crazy experiences where you're like, this is only going to happen in motorsports? Like this is something that no one's going to actually believe unless they saw it on TV. That's a good question. And I wish that I had a good story, but I honestly, it's, it's really similar. Like, you know, you get, honestly, a lot of what I end up working with is kind of more chronic stuff because drivers just, you know, they have similar problems. Um, and I try and give them home exercise plans, but you know, not everybody follows them. Um, so I guess, I guess the only like one kind of cool moment was I was, a driver was getting in the car relatively soon. Um, and he had been struggling with some forearm, um, and like wrist stiffness or wrist stiffness, forearm soreness. So I was doing some manual therapy, um, on him, which seemed to be helping in between his stints. And he was like, oh, I need to, I need to be in the pits, come with me to the pits and you can work on me there. Um, so I, I went and I was working on him and then a film crew came over to start interviewing him. So I was just like standing behind the film crew, like waiting for him to finish his interview so that I could finish my treatment on him. Um, and my my dad's a big race fan, obviously, and he texted me and he was like, oh, like I'm watching watching your driver get, you know, get interviewed right now. I'm like, I know I'm like one foot behind the camera. Um, so kind of just like those kind of surreal moments of like, is this is this real life right now? Like, is this really yeah. happening? But I mean, in Definitely. terms of treatments and all that kind of stuff, like it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. So it definitely doesn't happen in every setting, but I think if you're like getting bombed by the TV crew is definitely, I think high on people that just work with events that are just televised. It's just the cameras in front of you, you can see your hand like handing people things. Like, yeah. <laughs> Here's your tape. I see that happen a lot um, in pro rodeo. Like the camera is like on the cowboy and you see it was probably the, the sports medicine team. Just, there's always this like errant hand handing people things. <laughs> and it's like the AT standing behind the camera giving the, you know, the rodeo cowboy. Yeah, and actually it's funny that you say rodeo um, because so one of, I think the first ATs in racing was a former rodeo AT and he like kind of broke into the motorsport stuff because there was, I guess both of them were kind of the wild west or whatever. They were kind of similar, more extreme sports this was back in probably 70s or 80s um when racing was a lot more dangerous as well um so there were probably more similarities between rodeo and and, yeah. and uh, motorsports then but yeah kind my of mentor right out of school ran the infield care center at pikes peak international raceway oh, cool. so cool. how that but how it came about was kind of like what you were saying his skill set he's been an athletic trainer I mean well 45 years at this point but um like his skill set worked and so it was at a point there they built a new racetrack there wasn't NASCAR in Colorado it was basically midgets sprint cars sports cars things like that <laughs> where it's but he you know worked at it he got made a name for himself and you know, it was basically at some point he was even on like the crash response crew like riding the truck around to like yeah. the wrecks and stuff and I'm like, well, that's 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 over my my skill set as an athletic trainer by a wide margin. Like, I'm not trained to go into an auto automobile accident and get somebody, but um, but it's the same thing that they did, didn't have anybody. Yeah, like, and actually, you saying that brings up another good point in that. So, with those you know on-site crews that are going and helping with wrecks immediately, um, most of them right now are firemen, EMTs, paramedics, all of those types of 
of people, but I firmly believe that athletic trainers believe belong in that group as well. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously you need to go through training of how to extricate somebody from a car. Um, but they, they, I mean, a fireman, yeah, they know how to extricate somebody from a street car, but it's very different extricating somebody from a racing car. The materials are completely different. The cockpit's completely different. Like there's a lot more things that you have to think about um, when you approach somebody who's been in a, in a, in a, an acute crash. Um, and so all of those all of those crews, like the IndyCar crews are highly trained. Um, and I, I firmly believe that athletic trainers would make complete sense being in that, in that type of scenario. Um, I think it just hasn't been done yet. Nobody's kind of, I mean, besides your, your clinical instructor, no, like people it's, it, it, it isn't done very often, I guess, um, or it hasn't become a trend. And I would love to see athletic trainers in that. So if you're interested in working in, in motorsports and getting into the safety crew side of things, I highly encourage that. And actually along those lines, so there's um, the International Council of Motorsport Sciences um, is this group of people who are in motorsport sciences um, and they have a, an annual Congress every year. Um, usually it's in Indianapolis, but it's been virtual last year, um, where people who have been doing research in racing or looking into medical things in, in racing come, you know, give lots of presentations. And then they have a day at the end um, where you actually work with the IndyCar, or not work with, but you have workshops with the IndyCar safety crew, kind of learning about different car extrication techniques, um, dealing with acute blood loss when somebody's in a car, like all those kinds of very emergent situations, you kind of walk through all of those things mm -hmm. and it's awesome. So I highly recommend to anybody who's interested in that to go to, go to that conference. Um, if you can. Jeremy, did you have any questions? Cause I know it's like, obviously <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not new to auto racing and I'm just talking. So, I mean, so there was a couple one y'all we were talking about the different scenes. So like there's the PSATs, which is the public safety or PBATs, professional baseball, PFATs for football, that kind of thing. Is there a group or society or a classification for racing athletes? So like in Formula One, they have like a group of racers within Formula One at like a, the driver's association. Um, but that's only within Formula One. And I think there's probably something similar in, I think it's series to series. I'm not aware of like a national racing conglomerate. All right. And then you said most of the injuries are chronic. What would you say is the strangest injury that you have seen or dealt with? So strange, strange isn't interesting. So I think so one of my drivers um, had a neuroma in his foot that I wasn't there when it developed, um, but the hypothesis was that he developed this neuroma from pushing the brake pedal so hard, like multiple, multiple, multiple times for like 20 years. So I don't know how, like that's that was his explanation for it. I don't know whether that's, legit or not um but yeah he ended up having to get it removed and then still had some residual pain from that after so i mean maybe in some of those cars the brake pedal is only that big so yeah it's not the big square that most of us have no. cars. and i mean they're using a lot of force when they are freaking so it's definitely plausible i don't know that there was like direct evidence to really show the causation but the, the few know. times i've driven cars like that i can assure you like i was sore afterwards so to do it for 20 years it's just that's a lot of force <laughs> especially yeah. like i said the brake pedal target is a bit small so when you miss it it's a <laughs> find it <laughs> it's a bit's a yeah. quick moment <laughs> that's probably i guess the strangest one you guys have mentioned rodeo athletes, and that's kind of what I was thinking. You're talking about like the 
the arrive and drive guys. So rodeo is the same way. You know, I've done a couple of podcasts about rodeo or I've, I've actually volunteered at the rodeo here. <clears throat> and so the, one of the, one of the guys at the rodeo said that they would take TheraBand and wrap it like for a hip spica instead of just using an ACE wrap. And so that's something that I've actually used here. So what are some adaptations of a normal, you know, like a TheraBand or a brace or something like that, that you have used that, in, in auto racing that an athletic trainer may be able to adapt and, and use to benefit their athletes? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I haven't had to adapt too many things. I think what I've come across most often is actually things being too bulky, right? So like if somebody, you know, keeps hitting a corner of their seat and you want to put you know, some kind of cushion there, or um, if you're trying to do like a wrist tape or something like that, they, their suits and actually their seats, like everything is so form fit that bulkier tape jobs or bulkier items really get in the way. So it's almost, it's more of an exercise in minimalism of like, how can you use as little as possible while still getting the job done. Um, Cause the last thing that you want, especially, you know, if you're doing something on their hands is for them to be having issues in the car and not be able to turn the wheel or shift or do whatever they need to do. And they get out of the car and they're like, that was the worst session of my life. Like <laughs> you do not want that. Um, so I always kind of, I try to take the less is more approach and say, all right, see how this feels, make sure one, you can really move in this. Um, we can always add, but I can't subtract when you get back in the car. So, you know, that it's that it's that that's the game that I've had to play most often. I love the baking analogy. That's what I always call it. It's like, you can always add mm -hmm. once I add too much in baking, I kill the cake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's probably, that's probably the most, yeah. Or so um, the driver that had a um, torn ACL, he, he actually didn't, he, he was a great coper. He didn't actually get it repaired. Um, and initially when he first tore it, his doctor had given him a brace, but it was this like huge clunky thing and he hated it. And he couldn't fit it under his suit and it was like getting in the way when he was trying to drive. Um, so we kind of worked through like, okay, what, how do you feel? Like, do you feel unstable? Are you in pain? Like, does the brace really help? You know, can we, can we just try an ACE wrap? Like just to kind of get that like proprioceptive feedback even of just like making your body pay more attention to that area. Like, you know, how does that feel? even that was too bulky. So then we just went kinesio tape of, he just, it almost more for like the placebo effect even, or again, just that like kind of reminder of like, yep, you know, there's a little thing on your knee, like maybe pay more attention to this area. Um, but he really didn't need brace support. Um, he wasn't feeling unstable or anything like that. So kind of working through those iterations um, to get him to a place where he felt comfortable was it. And it took like, it took him being in the car for two or three sessions to kind of get to that place. But yeah. Do you, um, cause I know you said your dad raised, do you raise it all? I, so I've done my skip barber like three day racing school and two day racing school and a couple lapping sessions. Um, and then my husband actually is also a racer. Um, he started in go-karts and did go-karts for years and years and years. Um, so he built a Rotax go-kart for me. So every once in a while I'll get in the go-kart. I'm, I'm not, I don't do it frequently enough to, like ever progress very far. It's like, oh, I like do it once or twice a year and then 
I like get faster and then I'm not in, not in it for a couple of years. And then I'm like, oh, I'm back to the times that I was like <laughs> last year. So yeah. go-karts scared me more than full-size cars. <laughs> Without a doubt. I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm this far from the ground going that fast and I can't, I can't deal with that. I was like, yeah. I, need, I need something around me that I'm, I'm bolted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. Cause there's no, there's no seatbelts either, but the idea is that like you want to be ejected cause you don't want to land upside down with a go-kart mm -hmm. on top of you. That would not be, not be good. Yeah. Cause I, I, I had at one point had the opportunity to drive a vintage midget and I wouldn't do it. I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I helped, I helped him put it together. I helped him build it. And I was like, but I, I you do you, man. The open wheel cars. Um, when I did my racing school, I did it in like a formula style car, open wheel. And actually the scariest thing for me going down the front street was the helmet buffeting like it felt like it was trying to pull my head off and that freaked me out more than the speed <laughs> like <laughs> i'll never not, forget the not. very the very first time i was at a track they i just did a ride along in a cup car and that's what i'll never forget i was not prepared for that first turn and i like my head hit the side of the car so hard because it was just like you're just plastered and there's nothing you can do <laughs> when people watch those because I think when people watch those like races on race day and they see like, you know, the old drivers driving people around, like their reactions are very real. I do not oh, think yeah. for TV, they're terrified. They're absolutely terrified. Yeah. And then it's fun. Then you, then you peel your head off the glass and off you go. All right. So to, to kind of round it out, if an athletic trainer is wanting to get into motorsports, you said four years you were networking plus the, you know, previous growing up 20-ish years. Uh, where you'd been around racing, you know, building that network and, and growing it, just talking to people. So obviously reaching out to, to you, Julia, at Motorsports PT um, is a good way. Or you said motors, Julia at MotorsportsPT.com. They can email you. You said you've had a lot of people reaching out. Um, continue to build that. Work on your skill set. Volunteer. Have, have an idea of what you're talking about. So don't go in there like, hey, yeah, I watched the NASCAR once. Let me go try and be an athletic trainer. But get some experience driving those racing go-karts or, you know, go sit at a pit crew. Kind of like what I did with rodeo. I had no idea. But then you go there and, you know, I'm end up, I'm part of the crew where a, a guy got flipped over and a horse landed on him and he broke his back and now he's paralyzed. And I'm like, whoa, you know, and just so getting that experience, um, any any other athletic trainers interested in getting into motorsports, athletic training, physical therapy, motorsports medicine? What would be? Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you that you would say to them? Yeah, I would also say. I mean, obviously, you have to network. You have to get you have to get that credibility. Like, get people to know you and trust you, and obviously, want to use your services. Um, it's always a, you know, a funding thing of, I would love to have, you know, a full program where I'm working with the crew members, I'm checking in with everybody frequently have, you know, exercise programs for everyone, but the, the teams don't have the, the money set aside for that. Um, but I'm also not going to offer that for free, like know your, know your worth um, and it's one thing if you know you're trying to get into something and you want to observe and you just want to kind of you know find out a little bit more about the the environment um but also don't don't give your services away for free because you're worth you're worth it you're worth more than that um and i think it it can be really hard to to say no um or to to kind of push for that and that's something that i've struggled with too um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act, right? You don't want to lose an opportunity, but you also need to make a living and that's, you know, you, you have value in your skills. Um, so, so don't forget that as you're, as you're networking and as you're kind of trying to build a basically business model of don't undersell yourself and don't give up, <laughs> just keep, Keep trying. You never know. You never know what's going to come your way. I, I'm i not sure if you've ever had hoist hydration. I, I like it a lot. Um, me personally, 
But what do the athletes use most of the time for hydration? Hydration is, that's a really good question. So a lot of them actually will partner with different hydration companies. Um, like I know Hammer Nutrition is a big one. I think there's like infinite, um, it's kind of whatever personal preference drivers have. Some of them are just like have some more sensitive stomachs. So they'll only drink like a certain color of Gatorade mixed with water. Um, it's whatever, whatever works for them that they've found over the years. Um, and I always tell them as well, especially for the, um, the endurance races, like, cause they might ask your opinion of, Oh, like, what do you recommend for hydration or what do you recommend that I should eat? Or what do you recommend this or that? Um, feel free to give the recommendation, but, or talk about, you know, what they're considering, but I, I never tell anybody to change anything before a race. Um, because you never know how they're, how they're going to react to, to that. That's the biggest thing is because sometimes drivers will be like, oh yeah, I'm going to try that. And it's like, no, no, don't do it now. <laughs> like, wait, you don't, you want to do that on like a testing day or like working out try to start there. Don't, don't switch up their routines too much. You might have great ideas, but not at a race. <laughs> you mentioned passive modality. So like the Mark Pro or the Compact. So if somebody's wanting to buy the Mark Pro, they can use the code DSMB. It's something we use a good bit for swelling or, you know, like you've got somebody that's falling asleep and uh, trying to get their four hours of sleep before they go back in the car or whatever it is. So that may be something that anybody can use, but the code DSMB. Go ahead, Mike. I was like, I'd imagine for auto racing, and not because I'm trying to plug that, it's because I use this for, I mean, very lower extremity dominant sports, like with the G-forces and Venus pooling, something like that might actually be highly beneficial <laughs> to getting them back to just normal following, yeah. you know, you know, 6, 8, 12, 24-hour endurance race. Yeah, yeah, there, I, there are some drivers who will bring units, like compression units with them. I would love to see some research on that done. If anybody's doing, you know, has to do some research work, that could be a, a topic of see see what the physiologic effects are of a, a race car driver and then their recovery after they've used a compression modality. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, they say you should be interested in your research. If you get to hang out at a racetrack, go be it. Yeah. Go do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash auto racing medicine where you can find Dr. Julia Hines or Mike McKinney's contact information. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash auto racing medicine. Dr. Julia Hines is motorsportspt.com or if you're looking for her on Instagram, it's motorsportspt. You can find her there. Connect, network, know that she's not going to give everything away for free like she said, but she'll put you in the right direction, help you out and help you build those connections. All right, so for Jeremy, Dr. Julia Hines, my friend Mike McKinney out in Boston on the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.